we need to talk about the rule of law. A podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutscher Anwaltsverein. We need to talk about disciplinary procedures. Judges, as all other people, can misbehave in office, and in that case there needs to be a procedure in place to sanction their misbehavior. But that very procedure, as we have seen in Poland, can be turned into a blunt but nevertheless effective tool for the government to, well, discipline the judiciary, to threaten it into submission or purge the ranks of those who might get into the way of the government's policy aims. Last week we have talked about judicial appointments. This week we will talk about disciplinary procedures as another necessary yet dangerous interface between the executive and the judicial branches of government. And we will discuss this with a set of eminent guests. I will talk to Adam Bodnar, the outgoing civil rights ombudsman of the Republic of Poland, and over the last years a tireless and indomitable fighter for human rights and the rule of law against the assaults of the peace regime. I will talk to Susanna de la Sierra, who is a professor of administrative law at the University of Castilla-La Mancha in Toledo in Spain. And I will talk to Nina Beteto, a judge at the Supreme Court of Slovenia, and the president of the Consultative Council of European Judges, CCJE. Um, before we start with what has happened, let's briefly talk about your office, Adam. The Office of Ombudsman, which, as I've said, is a tremendously important one in Poland right now, and, and the only one which has maintained its independence from the governing party peace throughout the last years. And that may end soon. Your term of office has officially ended, and you are the acting Ombudsman until both Houses of Parliament one of which is controlled by the opposition, can agree on a successor. What is going on there, Adam? First of all, I would like to thank you very much for the invitation to this podcast and for the fact that we can, and my office, may cooperate with the Verfassungsblock. You are right that my office came to an, my term came to an end, but it is interesting that, in fact, I do not wait so much for the successor because it seems to me that the government does not want to appoint like a real successor in accordance with the constitutional procedure. The Polish constitution requires consent of both chambers of parliament to elect the new ombudsman, and the ruling majority does not have a majority in the Senate. And it's quite interesting that the uh, group of parliamentary deputies connected with the ruling camp has just submitted a motion to the constitutional court saying that the legislative provision allowing me to work as the acting ombudsman is unconstitutional. It means that if the constitutional court declares that uh, this provision is in fact contrary to the constitution, then I will have to step down. So the hearing is scheduled to take place on 20th October. So I serve until that moment and we'll see what will happen in the constitutional court. You know well that the constitutional court is heavily dominated or subordinated by the uh, ruling camp and that there is a huge influence of the ruling party on what is going on in the constitutional court. Right, so that's just another another episode in the in, in the never-ending series of, of assaults against the constitutional order in Poland. Yeah, for, for sure uh, the ruling majority does not want to agree on sharing the responsibility for electing the new ombudsman with the Senate of the Republic, which means that 
you know, that is this kind of a, a strategy of taking over all the state institutions, just like it happened in Hungary. It seems the same logic is also in uh, Poland. Mm -hmm. To get back to our topic, disciplinary procedures against judges, Adam Bodnar, Poland is obviously the case in point here, which is in everybody's mind when we talk about this matter. And particularly this week when Judge Igor Tuleya will face the new so-called disciplinary chamber of the Supreme Court. Could you fill us in about what has happened with disciplinary procedures in Poland in general and in the Tuleya case in particular? I think that we should start with the historical background. Because, in fact, I was analyzing the disciplinary proceedings concerning judges in Poland before any changes happened. And Polish system was relatively good. It means that all the disciplinary cases have been made by peers, so basically by disciplinary uh, panels composed of judges. Also, disciplinary prosecutors so, or disciplinary commissioners have been elected by judges themselves. And there were different legislative and practical measures that allowed for uh, punishing judges for different disciplinary delicts. The problem was, however, that although those cases have been pending and adjudicated in Polish courts, the public opinion really didn't know a lot about them. You know, even the judiciary as such, judges themselves didn't take much care about informing the public opinion what is going on in those disciplinary cases. So you could have an impression that although the system is there, everything goes uh, very much in secret. Although those proceedings have been open to the public, they were transparent, ju judgments of the disciplinary courts, disciplinary panels have been published, and there was no problem with accessing this information. But still, you could have a feeling that uh, the public opinion does not know a lot about it. So... When the new government, uh, the government by the Law and Justice Party, came into power and they started to say that, you know, it is our role right now to create like a proper sense of accountability and we need to increase efficiency of disciplinary proceedings, uh, basically they, their argument got a little bit like in the, let's say, like the intellectual vacuum because the public opinion didn't really know how this whole system works uh, on, and judges themselves, as I said, didn't take much care about creating like a proper transparency concerning this. So the measure that has been proposed by the Ministry of Justice, in short, concerned uh, like two elements. So first of all, total political subordination of disciplinary judges. So those disciplinary judges that are like uh, top ones in the system are elected directly and individually by the Ministry of Justice who is the part of the executive power and who is also, interestingly, in Poland, at the same time, prosecutor general. So the Minister of Justice, Bigniew Ziobro, is combining a lot of functions and also appointing individual appointment of disciplinary judges is important part of it. And the second point is that disciplinary cases against judges are held right now by the disciplinary chamber of the Supreme Court. So the newly created disciplinary chamber in the Supreme Court with the new that was elected in a highly political way and also with, which is having a very special structure and position in the Polish uh, legal system because it is a chamber which is to great extent separated from other chambers uh, of the Supreme Court 
Moreover, judges that adjudicate cases there are uh, remunerated 40% higher than any other regular uh, judges of the Supreme Court. So all of this has been created more or less in 2018 in order to create a system where judges could be penalized. And the consequence of this is that on the one hand, this disciplinary chamber, in fact, should not work any longer because there was an interim measure issued by the Court of Justice of the European Union. But it seems that this chamber doesn't care and they still adjudicate cases. Second point is such that all the judges who are publicly active, who are expressing their concern concerning reforms of judiciary in Poland, are having different problems with those either disciplinary judges or with the disciplinary chamber. And the case of Judge Igor Tuleya is the most emblematic uh, because he became like a symbol of the judicial independence. He has been portrayed by the New York Times. He's more or less like the face of the opposition against the current uh, regime. And right now he's having a series of cases involving the disciplinary chamber of the Supreme Court. Right. Um, Professor de la Sierra, is this a specific Polish phenomenon? What about your country, Spain? Well, um, I would like to thank, first of all, you at the Verfassungsblock for organizing this and inviting me. And I am very happy to share this podcast with such distinguished uh, colleagues. So thank you very much. And I am very happy for this opportunity. Of course, we have a very different situation in Spain, but I, I really like listening to the Polish colleague because I think we should go back to this general idea of how the different powers relate one to the other. In Spain, um, disciplinary proceedings are conducted by the judges themselves, by the governing bodies of the judiciary, namely and uh, mostly by the Council of the Judiciary, as in other countries. So this is something important in order to preserve independence of the judiciary. But there is a problem which has been in the general political and academic discussion for many years and which is related to the podcast you had in last week concerning the nomination of the people who compose this Council of the Judiciary. Uh, the Council of the Judiciary, according to our constitution, is composed of 20 members. Uh, 12 of them are judges or should be judges, and eight should be lawyers of a, with an outstanding career and having, um, having had a legal career for at least 15 years. But who appoints this member of the council? It is both chambers of the parliament, 10, 10, and um, the council, which is acting now, finished its mandate back in 2018. So it is. it has been acting for two years now with its mandate already finished. Why? Well, here we have this political problem that political parties in parliament uh, don't agree on the, not only on the names, but on the need to renew now the members of the Council of the Judiciary, who is in charge again of these disciplinary procedures. So a huge uh, political and academic discussion is going on on whether or not, and it seems yes, on whether or not we should change the system of appointing the members of this important body, which is the Council of the Judiciary. So in general terms, this is very important because on the one hand, the argument in favor of such a system was that through the appointment of the members of the Council of the Judiciary by the Chambers of Parliament, they would have more democratic legitimacy, whereas others consider, and this is actually the discussion, 
that uh, legitimacy of judges, also when acting through disciplinary proceedings, comes from other sources, comes from impartiality, independence, and um, other elements that characterize their function. So again, there is an important question about how the powers of the state relate one to the other. In Spain, specifically, the system of appointing the members of the Council of the Judiciary is under a huge debate now with many political and institutional implications. And I think it is good to bear this in mind and to think about who should take care of the disciplinary proceedings and how these people are going to be elected or appointed, even if most of them are judges by profession, which is in itself a good element, I would say. Right. I understand that the, the government has announced plans to reform the Judicial Council. What What is the aim of the government in, in, in this respect? Well, the idea, well, um, we still don't know uh, the details about this uh, proposal, which I think is necessary. On the one hand, we need to know more about the technicalities, how this uh, proposal is going to be drafted in its particularities. On the other hand, if it depends on the majorities in Parliament, the political situation in Spain in the last years, where we have had various general elections as political parties couldn't agree on who was going to govern. So the political situation is not at an easy moment in order to reach agreements, but they are most necessary than ever at this at this moment. So we are really looking forward to see what kind of proposal it is going to be at the public sphere. Okay, but the way the debate goes, Spain is on a trajectory towards a more politicized judicial council and thereby a politicization of the judicial branch government. Is that correct? Well, the thing is that, yeah, even if members of the Council of the Judiciary are judges or lawyers, that is, in principle, they are not, in principle, they are not politicians because they are elected by the chambers of parliament. There is, yes, indeed, this debate on whether or not the council is politicized. And many would say, yes, it is. And this is why, uh, in accordance, actually, with recommendations from the Council of Europe, a model where uh, judges, the judges themselves, appoint or elect the members of the Council of the Judiciary has been proposed by some in recent years. But we still don't know what kind of model is going to impose. Um, according to the Constitution, this could be um, this could be a, a system, an adequate system. But again, the discussion uh, is ongoing, and yes, indeed, it is a highly politicized topic at this very moment. Right, um, Judge Peteto, your uh, country of origin is Slovenia, but the Council of Judges you are the president of is European. Um, do you know of other examples in Europe where disciplinary proceedings against judges have caused controversy in recent times? Yes, of course. Uh, so, uh, first of all, maybe a very short introduction. Consultative Council of European Judges is quite a unique body. It is composed solely of judges, and uh, its main task is to bring opinion on various aspects of judicial work. We also deliver, or we used to deliver, a biannual report on various problems regarding the judiciary in Europe. And based on the last report of the CCGE, the problems regarding the relationship between judges and the executive are very serious, not only in new democracies, but also in old democracies. 
I can say as a general observation, there is no strong commitment and no sincere political will, this is the problem, to strengthen uh, the rule of law. So in several countries, key politicians, including ministers, have publicly targeted the judiciary. They have argued, for example, that it is corrupt, uh, uh, politicized, elite or remote. On some occasions, uh, they have uh, claimed that uh, the necessary modernization of the judiciary could only be achieved by replacing judges who belong to the old regime or were taught by judges of the so-called old school. Furthermore, legislative acts granting very broad powers to the executive uh, were adopted at the expense of the judiciary. So uh, these have included broad reforms of the high judicial councils, the removal and appointment of judges, including Supreme Court judges, either directly or on the basis of disciplinary proceedings, and the removal of court presidents and the setting up of new courts. Uh, in other cases, key competences are now effectively concentrated in the person of the Minister of Justice, including power normally held by the Prosecutor General. So these are just a few examples, and there are many more. Are these examples, um, is this a, an Eastern European phenomenon, or is this, this observation valid throughout Europe? Not, 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 not only in, I would say, in old democracies, also in new democracies, unfortunately. Uh, just uh, to mention, I, I highlight here the UK politicians labeling uh, Supreme Court judges uh, uh, enemies of the people, then the US president's reference to a so-called judge in a case, then the suggestion by an Irish minister that senior judges should not be involved in the appointment of judges because they will just appoint their friends and um, maybe the Turkish government suggestion uh, that the Greek Supreme Court has been encouraging the impunity of criminals. So these are just few examples that are on my mind now, not to mention what has been already explained uh, by Adam Bodnar. All right. Um, Professor de la Sierra, um, do, do cases where judges have been subjected to disciplinary procedures in a controversial way exist in Spain too? Well, yes, uh, because of the workload of judges, it looks as if disciplinary proceedings are opened in many cases due to claims of citizens. So we could say that in principle and in general terms, the system works correctly. So whenever there is a claim, there is a an investigation on what has happened at different levels. But yes, of course, when the person implied is a famous person, then, well, the media echo the disciplinary proceeding at, at the case. And there are indeed risks, as in any other controversial judicial question of general interest, there is the risk of politicizing the issue. I think we had the opportunity to discuss in the past uh, one of the cases in recent years that has developed much uh, media attention because it was linked to a highly political question, namely 
the process in Catalonia where um, some political parties in Catalonia claim for independence. There was a judge, there was because he's now retired, uh, Santiago Vidal, who was an active politician. That is another interesting debate on whether or not uh, judges may be allowed to be part of political parties and whether or not they can be allowed or they should be allowed to be active politicians. So, for instance, in Spain, and, and please allow me to explain this for a few minutes, judges are not allowed to be part of political parties, but of course they are allowed to be part of professional associations, which are indeed a very good instrument, I could say, to promote independence and impartiality because they judge who in some cases uh, need to confront different forces and different interests. If there is a, an, a, a professional association backing him or her, then I think it is a good instrument, again, to promote independence and impartiality. That is one question. Whether or not they can be part of political parties, the answer in Spain is no. But they can be active politicians. Uh, during that time, of course, they cannot be acting judges. One of the examples now is our Minister of Defense, Margarita Robles, who was a former judge at our Supreme Court for administrative law cases. So we had this case of Judge Santiago Vidal a couple of years ago. He asked for permission to leave the judiciary for, for some time, and he was an active member of one political and independentist party in Catalonia. So that was in conformity with the law. But then uh, when he returned to, to be a judge, he actively participated in various acts, not one or two. I, I underline this because this was very important for the uh, disciplinary commission. Uh, the fact that he participated in more than, it seems, more than 100 political acts in favor of uh, the independence of Catalonia to promote debate and to promote this idea of independence. And he contributed to the drafting of a uh, possible or future uh, constitution for Catalonia, where the right to decide, that is to become independent, was acknowledged and recognized. So the uh, disciplinary committee of the Council of the Judiciary in Spain, which is composed by five members out of the 20 members who compose the Council of the Judiciary, uh, concluded after an internal investigation that he had to be suspended for three years, that was the sanction, because he had committed various infringements. For instance, he had committed this very serious infringement established in the laws, according to which a judge cannot be um, um, unfaithful to the Constitution. And uh, he was also considered uh, not to have well conducted his activity as a judge. This decision of the Council of the Judiciary by the uh, Disciplinary Commission was, of course, discussed by um, Judge Santiago Vidal, who took the decision to court. And it is for the Supreme Court, uh, the Third Chamber, the Administrative Law Chamber, to decide whether or not this decision was in conformity with the law. The court analyzed the various arguments, and indeed, the decision is a divided decision. Let's say there was an internal debate from what we can see because there is a dissenting opinion signed by various judges. One of the arguments was, or one of the items in the discussion was whether or not the participation on these acts and the drafting of the constitution was indeed an unlawful attitude towards the constitution because it doesn't seem that he infringed the Constitution itself. He expressed his views and his freedom of expression 
considering that another constitution for Catalonia was needed. And indeed, the, the Supreme Court considered that this was in conformity with the laws, but it considered that because he was so active and he participated in so many events, he uh, had not well conducted his judicial activity because there was not much time left for him actually to well conduct his judiciary activity. And he confirmed the sanction of suspension of three years in which he could not act as a judge. So yes, this is indeed one uh, decision out of many that are taken in the in the judiciary by the various bodies uh, charged of this. And of course, it yeah it provoked a huge um, media discussion because it was linked to the political question of Catalonia. This is a super interesting case. Um... Uh, Judge Beteto, judges enjoy the right to freedom of expression as, as much as anybody else do. How does the judiciary protect itself against infringements of that sort uh, without politicizing itself uh, the very minute it does? How do you solve this dilemma? Well, maybe to, to add that broader perspective, talking about uh, political activities of judges, They pose a specific problem. Uh, of course, judges, they should be allowed to exercise the political rights enjoyed by all. Uh, however, in view of the right to a fair trial and legitimate public expectations, uh, judges and prosecutors, uh, they should show some restraint in the exercise of public political activity. Of course, there is no uniform approach to the participation of judges in political activities. Uh, for example, some states, they have included the obligation of judges to exercise a reserve and uh, even in their disciplinary rules and sanction any conduct which conflicts with this. Other states, uh, they have been traditionally much more uh, tolerant, like, for example, uh, Germany. But even in Germany, there has been an interesting case For example, the German Federal Constitutional Court, uh, I think you, you will know what I'm talking about, has decided that it must render its decision on a constitutional complaint directed against the prohibition of assisted suicide services without participation of the Judge Miller in, uh, on the grounds of possible bias. So going back again to the starting point of courts, Judges like human beings enjoy the right to freedom of expression. However, so always comes that, that word, however, the exercise of uh, this freedom uh, carries special responsibilities and duties. Judges should therefore show restraint in exercising this right and always conduct themselves in such a manner as to preserve the dignity Uh, of their profession and the partiality and the independence of judiciary. But any interference with the freedom of expression of uh, judge calls for close scrutiny. And there is a vast jurisprudence of, uh, on this matter uh, that was uh, developed by the ECTHR. So on the balance, on one side, Uh, the, between judicial freedom of expression and the need to safeguard the impartiality and independence of judiciary. Just to mention two cases, uh, Baca against uh, Hungary or, or, and uh, maybe Kodeshkina against Russia, the two cases.
Anders Bakker, the plaintiff of one of those cases, will be with us in our next episode on this podcast. So this will be interesting. Um, what what would you say would be best practice examples to, to solve this dilemma? Do you have any systems in mind which um, could serve as as models, countries who have managed to to balance these conflicting aims in a way that others could learn from? Um, uh, it's, I can hardly name one country being a star or a champion, uh, but in recent years, uh, um, I would say there is a consensus about a few uh, best practices. And the first one being, being that ethical principles should be laid down uh, in codes of ethics. So most of European countries, they have developed codes of ethics, uh, which are meant to be living instruments, complemented by practical examples, as suggested, for example, by Greco, another body of the Council of Europe. Then the uh, second would be in the context of greater scrutiny of judicial conduct and the need uh, to maintain judicial independence, uh, several countries have um, established ethical commissions. Like, for example, uh, as far as I am familiar, the Spanish Ethics Commission works very well. And these ethics commission, they should not be confused with judicial disciplinary bodies. Uh, while their structure and powers may vary from state to state, uh, ethics commissions exercise advisory function, counseling judges, and or adopt general opinions. And third, which is very important as a preventive measure, it a vital aspect of implementing a true culture of integrity in judiciary is to provide proper training on ethical conduct. It should be each judge's duty, uh, regardless of age and seniority. So just a few best practices, in my opinion. Thank you very much. Um, Adam Bodnar, what would your position be in this? Uh, I think that the Polish institutional system before 2018 was not that bad. Uh, because I think the fact that uh, disciplinary proceedings are conducted by peers and that uh, the whole system is built in a way that uh, judges from themselves elect disciplinary judges or disciplinary judges is not such a bad practice, but only when it really aims towards explaining and finding accountability of any judges that commit different professional misdemeanors. So here is the question, because if there is no integrity, if there is no feeling of judicial ethos, then such cases may kind of, you know, escape uh, and there will be no uh, proper uh, examination of that kind of cases. But as I said, right now we have this huge problem with this institutional design because this design is to great extent aimed towards creating so-called chilling effect on judges. So they should be really afraid that in case of different uh, violations of uh, some principles connected with the operation of judiciary, they could be targeted by the executive power uh, or by people who are more or less uh, affiliated with the uh, Minister of Justice. And when I look back into the practice of last two years, 
I think we can enumerate four different kinds of disciplinary cases pending or litigated against uh, Polish judges. So the first category would be like most typical and traditional, which should happen and and that we shouldn't have a problem with this. So simply, these are different cases of typical professional misbehavior. I don't know if the judge is spotted somewhere being drunk or misbehaving uh, in some public places. That's obvious that it is the role for disciplinary judges to start cases and to say, you know, it is the case that should not happen because it violates the judicial integrity and some perception by public of the judge. Or if the judge is speeding up and is violating some different uh, traffic rules. Or if the judge is, I don't know, delayed by one year with producing grants to the judgment, then maybe you should also start some disciplinary case that he didn't perform uh, properly. So it is this first category which should basically happen in every jurisdiction. But then in Poland, unfortunately, we came to some additional categories which are creating some uh, systemic problems. So the most important one is this issue to what extent the judge has his own freedom of speech. So to what extent uh, exercise of the freedom of expression by a judge conflicts with the general prohibition of engaging into political activity. So judges are having like a big dilemma. Okay, should we protest against judicial reforms uh, threatening our independence? Or does it mean that we are engaging into political activity? Should we wear a special t-shirt with the word constitution? Or is it a political declaration? Should we participate in demonstrations? Or is it a violation of uh, professional ethics? Can we uh, sign letters to international institutions like OSCE or should we have cases, uh, disciplinary cases because of our activity? And basically right now, a lot of Polish judges, I assume more than 40 of them, are having different kinds of cases concerning this. So the uh, disciplinary judges try to chill them down uh, by just starting proceedings, by explaining different kinds of cases and by making those cases loud in the general public, and certainly it produces a chilling effect for a number of judges that that do not engage into uh, public uh, activities protesting against uh, judicial reforms. The next category are cases where judges are uh, subject of disciplinary proceedings because of the content of judgments. You know, it is really something which should never happen, but there are cases where There are judges that, for example, have made uh, some decisions on releasing somebody from pretrial detention, and then this decision has been subject of huge criticism by people affiliated with the Ministry of Justice, and in consequence, some disciplinary cases are started against those judges for the content of the judicial decision. Such things should never happen, but we had that kind of cases already, and also that kind of cases create another chilling effect because it's they show, you know, there are different categories of cases in which you have to be careful. You should not cross certain interests of the, uh, of the prosecutor's office, of the ruling party, because we may create some problems uh, for you. And finally, there is another category of cases which are not typical disciplinary cases, but cases concerning lifting judicial immunity. So here in this kind of cases, also the disciplinary chamber of the Supreme Court adjudicates, and it is one of those cases of the judge Tuleya. 
So he's having right now a case for lifting judicial immunity because of the accusation that allegedly he violated the law by uh, disclosing certain grants to one highly political uh, judgment to journalists. But what he did, he did it just openly. He just invited journalists to listen to the grants of the judgments. And, be, and because this judgment concerned like a very specific activity by the ruling party, now the ruling party claims that he shouldn't give reasons publicly because via this he violated some uh, alleged rules of, uh, of procedure. So right now they want to lift him judicial immunity in order to uh, start a case against him before the criminal court. Uh, also including possible requests for use of different uh, security measures like police supervision or even maybe pretrial detention. So it is quite important that it is kind of a, like a new situation in Poland that some judges in Poland, especially those prominent ones, are having cases not just for the disciplinary act, but for lifting judicial immunity in order to in order for the prosecutor's office to start criminal cases against them. And it is something which is really horrible, and that's why there are a lot of people protesting against those actions. And interestingly, uh, like the new case that appeared uh, last week is a case concerning the leader of another judicial association, Association Temis, who is having just right now the case for lifting judicial uh, immunity. Uh, I mean here Judge Beata Moravitz. Susanna de la Sierra. Yes, thank you very much. I must confess I am delighted hearing uh, my colleagues and their very interesting insights. And I will just focus on, on some particular points uh, which are connected to which what has just been said by both of them. So first of all, we are dealing with rights of judges, which of course is important because if they are doing something they consider is a right and disciplinary commissions consider it is not, they can open an, a disciplinary proceeding. Uh, in Spain, for instance, it is interesting, if I can use this word, to know that there is a debate on whether or not judges have the right to strike. Some argue by that because they are uh, a power of the state, that is, uh, that would be the argument, because they are a power of the state, they wouldn't be warranted the right to strike if they are not in conformity with measures from the government or, or their economic conditions or any other, any other thing. Others think, and I am among, among them, that because the Constitution has not prohibited this specific right to judges and it has prohibited this specific rights to other public servants, uh, of course, they are guaranteed the right to strike and, of course, the right to do it uh, with all the consequences and no disciplinary proceeding can be open regarding this. Then you were asking about uh, practices or best practices. Well, in Spain in 2013, uh, legal reform took place in order to try and promote changes towards more independent and, and more uh, rule of law uh, conform systems of uh, disciplinary proceedings. Um, a new figure was created in the framework of the Disciplinary Commission of the Council of the Judiciary a kind of prosecutor, independent prosecutor, he or she being a judge, a kind of prosecutor dealing all the investigation that could lead later to the uh, decision of the disciplinary commission. So maybe if we differentiate different figures in the same procedure, uh, distinguishing the investigation and then uh, the decision that is taken, maybe this can be uh, one of the 
well, one of the ways we can use in order to promote better disciplinary proceedings in conformity with the rule of law. Then I am very happy that uh, Judge Peteto mentioned the ethics. I agree um, the ethics or and the codes of ethics are not a substitute for disciplinary proceedings, but they are a very good complement also um, in relation to this culture of integrity. Uh, two years ago, in 2018, the Commission for Judicial Ethics was established at the Council of the Judiciary in Spain. Uh, the president is a judge of the Supreme Court of the Civil Law Chamber, then uh, another judge of the Supreme Court of the Administrative Law Chamber is also part of this committee or this commission. There are other judges of other levels uh, of the judiciary in Spain who are members, and there are also uh, professors of philosophy of law. They uh, respond to questions that are arising uh, by judges on whether or not they, they have a conflict of interest in specific cases, on whether or not it is advised to do something. For instance, can or should judges express themselves freely in social media? That is a recurrent uh, question that has been addressed by the Commission. And um, they are also supposed to promote codes of ethics um, following their activity, picking up the main questions that have been addressed in their um, in their reports, and then to promote a certain code of ethics uh, with the accumulated experience. So, yes, indeed, I think this could be seen as a good practice, and I think it actually links to the importance of ethics and integrity in all public life, not only in the judiciary, but of course, in particular, in the judiciary. Thank you. Judge Peteto. Uh, I would like to comment on two um, issues. Uh, the first one uh, being the substantive aspect of disciplinary offenses. Uh, disciplinary proceedings should deal with gross and in inexcusable professional misconduct, but should never extend, uh, as it is the case in Poland, to differences in, in legal interpretation of the law or judicial mistakes. And what is going on in Poland, in my view, uh, and I think uh, Poland is not the only example, is totally wrong. And the second comment, in certain circumstances, judges may play an important role in speaking on matters which concern the judiciary and the administration of justice. In situations uh, where there is a breakdown of constitutional order, they may even have a duty to speak out in favor of the restoration of democracy and the rule of law. This is the position of the ECTHR. And fear of sanctions, as it is again the case in Poland, for speaking out in defense of judicial independence and impartiality might have a clear chilling effect. Uh, because what else should judges do when a ship, the Titanic, is sinking? There is no use uh, to play, uh, playing music. So uh, they should really, in such situations, speak out in favor of democracy and the rule of law. Thank you very much, Judge Petito. Adam Bodnar? Thank you. I wanted to just uh, add two uh, components. I think that Poland, uh, during the last three years, became a little bit like a 
big playground for discussing uh, all different legal issues connected with uh, judicial independence. So when I have listened to uh, statements by uh, Judge Beteto or uh, Professor De La Sierra, I had this impression that we had already some of those debates. Like, for example, the debate concerning legitimacy of the Council of Judiciary and to what extent it should be elected by members of the parliament or by peers, I think it is one of the most fundamental problems. In fact, Spanish example has been used as a justification of making reforms uh, in Poland. But it has been this example, I would say, has been abused in order to create a political leverage over the National Council of Judiciary. Or another issue is the involvement of judges into social media. Uh, there were some judges that had real problem with this, uh, but still the question is to what extent uh, judge may be active on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, on LinkedIn, to what extent it may engage into some discussions with journalists, politicians. And I think still we do not have like clear standards here. And I think that there is a need for the general discussion, even at the European level, maybe taking into account Polish uh, examples, and maybe Verfassungsblock is a, is a good place to do it. But I would like to add one more thing. Uh, just in the end of August, I have met President of the European Court of Human Rights, Robert Spano. Uh, I think it is a great role right now for the European Court of Human Rights to be really engaged into those cases. Of course, we have a lot of, uh, we have some cases concerning uh, Hungary, uh, Russia, North Macedonia, and Ukraine concerning judicial independence, and also the uh, way how uh, uh, disciplinary proceedings are going on. But uh, taking into account the importance of those cases for the rule of law standards for whole Europe, uh, I think it is right now up to the European Court of Human Rights to further develop the jurisprudence on this. And that was more or less the purpose of my visit, just to say to Judge Spano, listen, you know, you have serious cases coming from Poland here, but you have also serious cases coming from Hungary, and it is up to the European Court of Human Rights to become a leader shaping the standards of uh, judicial uh, independence in the context of disciplinary proceedings. So let's hope that in upcoming um, months, maybe years, there will be hearings and judgments of the ECHR concerning this uh, issue. Thank you very much. Um, we will have uh, another um, episode focusing on the role of the European Court of Human Rights. And unfortunately, not with, with its president, uh, Judge Spano, uh, which I would be very much interested also discussing certain things about Turkey and so forth. He's at the middle of a controversy about his recent visit in Turkey. So lots of issues to talk about with respect to the European Court of Human Rights. This we will do. Um, I will also happily pick up the, the hint about the topic of judges making use of social media, which is, I agree is a tremendously interesting and urgent topic. Let's see what we can do about that on, on Verfassungsblock. Thank you so much for this tremendously insightful and interesting and rich uh, discussion. Adam Bodnar from Poland, Susana de la Sierra from Spain, and Nina Beteto from Slovenia slash Consultative Council of European Judges. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And we will continue our podcast series next week with an episode which will be focusing on procedural rights and uh, the setup of the judiciary, in, uh, which is, has also been the tool of, of influencing and subverting the rule of law in some countries, such as Hungary. 
our guests. Uh, this episode will be aforementioned former president of the Hungarian Supreme Court, Andras Baca. Then there will be Maria Rosaria Giulielmi, um, an Italian judge. And there will be with us Christoph Möllers, who is a professor at Humboldt University and a long-standing friend and supporter of Verfassungsblog. And we will discuss about procedural law, and I hope that will be as interesting as this discussion has been. Thanks again, and have a great week, and see you next week. <laughs>